In 2009, preacher Sai and I were on a trip to Turkey, Greece, and Rome. It was a wonderful trip. The goal was to uh, retrace some of the steps of the Apostle Paul and to visit some churches and places mentioned in the book of Revelation, the seven churches of Asia Minor. Sometime you need to ask Preacher Sai about his half haircut at Sencria. Some of you are thinking, what hair? But half haircut in Sencria. He was trying to imitate the life of the Apostle Paul. I'll let him tell you the story. When we got to Pergamum, mentioned in the book of Revelation, I purchased this rug as a gift, a surprise gift for Miss Carla, okay? What I failed to do was to tell my credit card company I was taking the credit card overseas. So she got a call back here in the States saying, we had a rather large purchase, I paid way too much for this, uh, in the Middle East. And Miss Carla said, oh, no, my husband's overseas, but he would never. <laughs> I'll let her tell you the rest of that story, too. But this rug is made in Pergamum, Western Turkey. And it is uh, very nice. It sits underneath the pedals of our grand piano there in our living room at the house. But it was made with a loom. Y'all know what a loom is? You've seen pictures of a loom? Yeah, something like that. And there's this big rug company there in Pergamum, and, and they, with their hands, but also with you ladies that quilt, and you know about these kind of things. If I turn it to the back side, you'll see it better, that every, uh, every rug or garment or something has threads going lengthwise and widthwise. It, it's what holds the whole thing together. And ever since about the 1500s, there's been an expression to talk about these threads going lengthwise and the threads going widthwise. We call that the warp, W-A-R-P, and the woof, W-O-O-F. I'm not making this up. Th these are the threads that are the warp. These are the threads that are the woof. And to keep a garment or a rug together, you've got to have the warp and the woof, both of them, okay? And uh, you know what else is necessary for a warp and a woof? You know what else has a warp and a woof to it? It's the church. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ has a warp and a woof to it. And really, any church that's interested in multiplication will have to be concerned about the warp and the woof. It's what the secular scholars call the genius of the and, A-N-D. Not either or, but both and. In fact, when it comes to these two things in the local church, the warp and the woof, you can't make them exclusive. They, they are not mutually exclusive. You really have to have them both. In fact, these two things are inextricably linked. They really, really are. And uh, basically, what it comes down to is something like this. Here's what I came to say today. Taking care and reaching out. Taking care and reaching out. Taking care and reaching out are the warp and the woof 
of multiplication. Let me say that a little different way. The great commandment and the great commission are the warp and the woof of the church's multiplication. Let me say it another way. The great commandment is what makes the great commission, I'm going to use a good word from James 5, effectual. Effectual. Let me say it one more way. The insiders should make it so compelling that the outsiders want in. The warp and the woof of multiplication is taking care and reaching out. And we ought not do one without the other. Now, the guy that I think probably illustrates this the best for us is a fellow by the name of Rodney Stark. He's a college professor. He was born in North Dakota. He got his PhD in California. He preached in the North, or taught in the Northwest for some years. He called himself a cultural Christian. That is to say, he thought Christianity was good for people that lived in the West. I don't know what kind of personal faith he had necessarily. He has since moved to Baylor University in Texas. Now, as you might know, that has Baptist roots, that university does. So perhaps Rodney Stark has claimed more of a personal faith now than just being a cultural question, uh, you know, scholar, thinking that it's good for, you know, uh, the West. But he is a religion sociologist. He studies the impact of religion on societies and culture. And in 1997, Rodney Stark wrote a book called The Rise of Christianity. He was trying to trace why Christianity grew so rapidly in the first three centuries when it was being persecuted. Up until the time of Constantine, persecution, persecution, but the church just kept growing. And his conclusion was it was based on two things, the warp and the woof. It was based on individual conversions. Somebody was telling somebody else how to know Jesus as their Savior. It was also based on a social fabric of family and friends that took good, real good care of each other, especially in the treatment of women and taking care of exposed children. Do you know what I mean by exposed children? So Rodney Stark gets at this idea as well, that to be the church and to multiply as God would have us, we got to take care and we got to reach out. Today, I want to emphasize both sides of that coin, if I can. And if you have those Bibles out that Josh mentioned to you or those devices, you can turn with me, first of all, to John chapter 13. Because the first part of this is taking care, the great commandment. Here's what Jesus says in John 13, verse 34. A new commandment. Well, it wasn't really new. It was as old as Leviticus. But Jesus, like he does with everything, made it richer, deeper, fuller, sweeter. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Agapao. That benevolent goodwill towards somebody else that they don't deserve. In fact, sometimes you give it in spite of themselves. 
love one another. Just as, even as, in the same manner as, I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this will all people know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now this passage of scripture is often read on Thursday night before Easter. Those services are called Monday Thursday services. Called Thursday because they take place on Thursday. Okay. Called Monday because that's the Latin word for mandate. And that's what this is. It's a command by Jesus to love. And it was during this setting, as you might know from the earlier part of the chapter, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come to depart from this world and go back to the Father, he loved his disciples, here's what the text says, to the end, and he showed it by washing their feet. He girds himself with a towel and washes dirty Palestinian feet. Is that a little much for you to take in? It is for me. The God of the universe stooping so low and washing dirty Palestinian feet. You ever tried to do something for a proud person? Because uh, a pair of those feet belonged to Simon Peter. And when Jesus got to him, he said in Greek, you shall never wash my feet forever. And Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you have no part in me. He said, well, just give me a bath. I mean, he was such a man of extremes. And then he got around to washing the feet of Judas. Ever been turned on by your friends? <laughs> Ever been stabbed in the back by people that, he who has eaten my bread has lifted up his heel against me. He washes Judas's feet. And when he girds himself with that towel and then takes his place again at the table, he says to the disciples, I have given you an example you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because I am. If I, then your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. William Barclay said, we seem so content to be standing on our dignity when we should be kneeling at the feet of our brethren. Leonard Bernstein said, what is the hardest instrument in the orchestra to play? He said, second fiddle. Everybody wants to be first chair but are willing to do what Randy Garris challenged us to do, and that's work the back of the room? Jesus washes their feet. He's getting them to try to take care of one another after he's gone. And, and then you could cut the air with a knife after he's done and says, follow this example. And then he says, oh, um, one of you will betray me. He told them this three times in his ministry to get them ready. But now it's real obvious, this is going to be an inside job. And they begin to ask, is it I? Is it I? It is the one that dips with me in the dish. And the Bible tells us in this chapter that Satan entered into Judas and he went out and it was night. Oh boy, was it night. And the night in his soul was darker than anything outside. And Judas left. Jesus told him in another place, what you're going to do do quickly. And when Judas left the room, the air got a little lighter. And Jesus begins to talk about the doxa of God, the glory of God, and how God is going to accomplish something glorious in this atoning death on Calvary's cross. And it's out of that moment that he says, a new commandment I give to you, 
that you love one another. So, are we known for that? Is the word on the street in Joplin, Missouri, oh, those people at College Heights, they take the great commandment seriously. They really take care of one another. For 30 years, there was a sign from the northern entrance of a little town in New Mexico, Portales, New Mexico. It was there for 30 years, and then a truck hit the sign, and they never put it back up. 30 years it stood there. Welcome to Portales, New Mexico, the home of 12,000 friendly people and three or four old grouches. It doesn't take very many Eeyores in the church to give the rest of the church a bad name, does it? I'd like to believe the best about our church. I'd like to believe that we take care of each other. And you know what? I know you do. Because it happened to Chester and I down here on the front row. Okay, she's in a wheelchair today, if you can't see. Uh, some of you know our story. Could I just crack the door? Could I just unzip my heart? You've heard us talk about our ministry in Denver. We loved Denver, okay? And God does too because the sunsets are orange and blue. So there. <laughs> Go Broncos. But um, anyway, it was a difficult ministry. Um, we loved our church. They loved us. But we went through a difficult time. And when we discerned that God wanted us to come back and enter the classroom again here at Ozark, um, we weren't sure why we were coming back exactly. We never planned to come back. But we came back, found ourselves here. I just felt like I failed. I wasn't a strong enough voice of unity to hold that church together. And... Um, we were probably more wounded than we let you know. We just tried, like a lot of you people, to just keep putting one foot in front of the next one and just keep going. But we were probably hurting more than we knew. And we kept asking, why are we back here? And one day, a great big tall elder from our church named Chris DeWelt came into my office. And he said, Randy and Julie are going to transition. We'd like you to think about doing the interim. You could have knocked me over with a feather. I said, oh, Chris, I don't know. I mean, we, we're, we're still kind of reeling from, but we agreed to pray about it. We did for a week, and then we said, yes. And you know what made us well? After some bruises, you did. By being allowed the privilege of stepping on the stage and teaching the Word of God and your kind affirmations way beyond what we deserved, you made us well. We owe you. So I know you can take care of people. You did it with us. And I thank you. In my seminary days, one day Dr. Bruce Parmenter preached in chapel he told the story of the Good Samaritan. You know the story. A lawyer comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, well, you got to love God and love neighbor. And he, wanting to justify himself, said, who is my neighbor? And Jesus told a story we've never forgotten. A man went from Jerusalem down to Jericho and as he did, he fell among thieves and they robbed him, stripped him, left him for dead. 
And you remember one passed by, another passed by. And the Samaritan, the Samaritan, he stopped and helped this guy, took him to an inn, poured oil and wine on his wounds and, and helped him. So Dr. Parmenter's preaching this sermon. He gets to the end of it, and Jesus says to the lawyer, which one uh, proved to be neighbor? <laughs> and the lawyer couldn't even bring himself to say, the sim, the sim, the sim. He couldn't say it. He said, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said, go and do thou likewise. That's the end of the story. But Dr. Parmenter that day in chapel said, but actually that's not the end of the story. He did what we call in preaching, extended the parable. He said, we actually found out the rest of the story. We found this ancient manuscript. He's lying through his teeth. We didn't find no stinking manuscript. Okay? No, he's just making this up. And he said, actually, after a while, the man who fell among thieves got well. Because the good Samaritan had paid, you know, for the innkeeper to help him and everything. And so he got well. He said, you know the first place that guy went? He went to Samaria. And he began to knock on every church door he could find. He said, does a good Samaritan go here? No, he didn't go to this church. Does he go there? No, he doesn't go here. He goes church after church after church. Not, does a good Samaritan go to church here? No. Finally, one day. Does a good Samaritan go to church here? And the guy said, well, matter of fact, he does. Yeah. Uh, he's back in the kitchen. He's washing dishes. We had a potluck supper here today, dinner on the grounds. And uh, he's back. He always does this. You want, to, you want to talk to him? Well, I'd like to. Okay, come on. And so he took him back in the kitchen. He says, there he is right there by the sink. He's washing dishes. And the man who fell among thieves said, hello. And the good Samaritan just keeps washing dishes. Hi. The man says, do you remember me? And the good Samaritan looks up and said, oh my goodness, it's you. <laughs> Boy, you look pretty good. <laughs> Last time I saw you, you didn't look this good. <laughs> he said, yeah, I know. Thanks to you. He said, I have a question for you. Is this where you go to church? The good Samaritan said, yeah. This is my church. I've been here. Our family has been here for a long time. This, this is where I go. And the man who fell among thieves says, then I'm going to join this church. You're going to join the church? Why are you going to join this church? He said, because I want to be part of any church with people like you in it. Taking care. The great commandment. That's the warp. What about the woof? What about the Great Commission? See, that's the reaching out part, the Great Commission. And if you still got your Bibles, you could turn to Matthew 28. Now, we're going to put this alongside of Matthew 5, kind of stick two things together here, but you know this passage. Matthew says that second earthquake brought him from the dead. Matthew often has two things in his gospel. There's two earthquakes in Matthew's gospel, and the second one, we have a resurrection on our hands, and the angels said to those women, it was the women who went there first. Don't be afraid. Come and see. Go and tell. You know that's still good advice. Don't be afraid. See, we should be afraid because Easter is scare the bejeebers out of you. See, Easter means he's alive, which means you will deal with him someday. But the second word besides don't be afraid is come and see. He doesn't expect you to kiss your brains goodbye. 
If you're going to stake your whole life on the resurrection, then you better come and check it out intellectually to see if this is really true and have an informed faith. And the last word is, go and tell. Go and tell. The soldiers aren't going to tell because they got bought off. Matthew's the only gospel that tells you that. The soldiers got bought off by the religious leaders. And finally, you get down to Jesus saying, I'll meet you in Galilee on a mountain. And they gathered there, and they worshiped, and the text says, and some doubted. Seriously? Except it doesn't really mean doubt. It actually means, kind of the Greek word means hesitate. I'm not sure how to interpret it. But then Jesus said, all authority. And he's got quite a bit. In fact, if he has all of it, how much was left over for you? All authority. And the resurrection enhanced and enlarged that has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. It's never just enough to take care, is it? It's enough to reach out. That's the woof. We could go over to that Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached. And in Matthew chapter 5, he says this, you want to know who the movers and shakers of this world are? It's not those two guys that talked on TV Thursday night, I'll tell you that for sure. Okay. And it's not the athletes who are going to be interviewed this afternoon in the NFL. You want to know who the movers and shakers of this world are? I'll tell you who they are. They're the spiritually bankrupt. They're the people that weep about the world. That the people that are meek and hunger and thirst and show mercy, the kingdom people, the beatitude people, they are, what are they? You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand it gives light to all in the house. In the same way. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Sounds to me like if we care about this woof part, it'll be involving us in reaching out. It'll be involved in, in this idea of going. And, and I guess you could say making disciples. Maybe we could say it this way with T-I-O-N words. Evangelization. Incorporation. Instruction. And incarnation. All of those are wrapped up in this. Every last single one of them is framed up that way. I, had a, I have a friend in Florida. He was the provost of Johnson University at the Kissimmee, Florida campus. His name is Mike Chambers. And he says that really the job of evangelism is just removing obstacles from people's path en route to the cross. Now, evangelism means telling them the good news. I know what the word means. But I like his definition just removing obstacles from people's path en route to the cross. I don't think it's any secret here at College Heights, so I hope I can get away with this. Our elders here, our shepherds of the church, have been kind of going to school with some of the elders from the Traders Point Christian Church in Indianapolis, Indiana. And they've been chit-chatting with them some lately about things. And, and that church is served by one of our own. Aaron Brockett grew up here. He's a graduate of College Heights Christian School. And when he went to this church, it was running about 1,500. They run about 10,000 now. Their motto is Mark 9, or excuse me, Mark 2 and Matthew 9. It's the story of the paralyzed guy let down through the roof. You remember that story? And they just say, 
Do you have four friends that would tear up a roof to get you to Jesus? Are you willing to tear up a roof to get some of your friends to Jesus? They're just trying to remove obstacles so that everybody knows of the love of God. I think what this passage says to me is, go and make disciples, be salt, be light. Mark Scott, you need to be more verbal with your witness in this community. Years ago, when I first came to the college, one of our teachers was a guy that I'd actually crisscrossed with in seminary. He's taught now at Kentucky for years. His name is Dr. Jim Girdwood. Some of you might go back that far to remember him. And he was trying to witness to a nurse here in town. <laughs> so he went to the Joplin Public Library and checked out five books on nursing so he could speak her language, so he'd know where she's coming from. Isn't that loving? It's been many years ago. I think it was 2005. And we were living out north of Webb City on Ivy Road. And our oldest son was home with his two oldest. They were just little kids. And I don't know what got into me. I don't usually do this. But I said to my oldest and my youngest, who was at home, you want to go see a movie? So all the moms and the little ones were just there in the house. But I took Casey and Allie to see Batman Begins. Lord have mercy. I don't know what got into me. I, I'm, I'm more of a ball game guy. I'm not much of a movie guy. But we went to see that, and we came out of Hollywood Theater and got in the car and headed out to Ivy Road. And I said, with all my great wisdom, I didn't see one redeeming value in that film. And my oldest said, Dad, it's a no-brainer. Thanks. Uh, the only one that thought Gotham was worth saving was Batman. And I thought, now that'll preach. <laughs> Do you believe that Joplin is worth saving? Okay, that wasn't rhetorical. Do you believe that Joplin is worth saving? Yeah. Do you believe that Jasper County and Newton County are worth saving? Do you believe that Northern Africa and Southeast Asia are worth saving? Do you believe that Southern California and Harlem, New York City are worth saving? Because this church has boots on the ground in every one of those places. No, we're not the church if we're not reaching out. I tell you, folks, the warp and the woof, taking care and reaching out, these are marks of God's genius. I don't know what some of you, maybe this is your first day here. I don't know. Maybe you're watching online for the first time. I don't know. But if you learn anything about this place, we are not a denominational church. There's nobody who pulls the strings behind the curtain like the Wizard of Oz. That What you see is what you get. We're... we're it's just a local, what we call an autonomous congregation. And these fellowship of churches that share this conviction across the country and around the world basically cared about three things when it all got started in the early 1800s and spread across this country like wildfire. Here they are. Number one, the unity of all the saints. The unity of God's people. 
We often say, we're not the only Christians, but doggone it, we're Christians only. Second, based on the authority of the Bible, you can't have unity based on nothing. It's got to be this book. Listen, the truth will set you free and nothing else. But it's the unity of all God's people based on the authority of the Bible. But don't forget the last part, for the evangelization of the world. It is. We're back to John 17 again, aren't we? Lord, Abba, make them one, O-N-E, that the world might be one, W-O-N. Hmm. You remember when you were little and you sang that song? Maybe you did. One door and only one, and yet its sides are two. I'm on the inside, which side are you? I don't know about the theology of that. But if I'm on the inside and taking good care of people there, I got to care about that outside part. Well, what would a Mark Scott sermon be without a story from Fred Craddock? Dr. Craddock tells a story about a time when he was visiting his boyhood home area, western Tennessee, not too far from Memphis, little town, very poor. And he uh, went to visit, and one of his friends said, you want to come with me to church tonight? He said, it wasn't my congregation, but he said, I knew the community pretty well from growing up there. And he said, sure, I'll go. And so they went to church on a Sunday night, and he went in the building, and he noticed, oh my goodness, the church had gotten new windows, beautiful windows. And Dr. Craddock said, I thought, expensive windows. I mean, stained glass, leaded stained glass windows. Pretty nice. And Dr. Craddock went up and looked at these windows before the service began. And then he got closer and he looked at the names. You know what I'm talking about? The little names on the window, given in honor of, given in memory of. You know what I'm talking about. The little plaques down at the bottom by the window. And he read all those names. He said, I didn't recognize any of the names. He said, I grew up in this community. I don't know any of those people. What's going on? So he said something to this friend that had taken him there to church. He said, yeah, he said, that's true. See, there was this church in St. Louis. And they ordered these windows from Europe, specially made. Leaded stained glass. Pretty cool, huh? He says, yes, they're nice. He said, well, they had all those names of the people that gave money. But when the windows got here from Europe, they didn't fit. So he said they decided to sell them and get different windows. And we read about it, and we got a real steal on these things. We got them real cheap. And Dr. Craddock said, well, okay, but um, <laughs> aren't you going to take the names off since none of them relate to people around here? He said, well, the board talked about that. And we decided not to because uh, we're just a little church. And we thought it might be a good reminder. Um, to remind of us, those of us that are in here, that there are people besides us here. Will you stand for prayer? Great God in heaven, your whoop calls us to love one another. Your woof sends us out into a lost world. 
Some days we do one better than others. Confessionally, Lord, we say sometimes we don't do either one real good. So we pray for your assistance. Thank you for these people, how much they mean to us. Lord, unite us under this call to evangelize the world and thereby multiply your church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We have a little family announcement to make this morning. No, Miss Carla's not pregnant. <laughs> that would be a miracle and a disaster. <laughs> I'm going to read this because if I don't, I won't get through it. When we returned from our ministry in Denver in 2014 to re-engage our teaching ministry at Ozark Christian College, we promised to stay until age 68 to 70, provided we were still clothed and in our right minds. The former is true, the jury's still out on the latter. Next February, I will turn 68. As we've continued to pray about our next steps, too many specific answers to prayer have come together to convince us that the time has come for us to conclude our teaching ministry at Ozark Christian College in May of 2021. The college family learned of this decision this past Friday. It was also obvious to us that we needed to stay in the Joplin area, something that we really never thought would happen. But due to a ministry opportunity that we did not seek, that does fit those next steps. The time has come for us to also conclude our teaching ministry at College Heights. I served here, as I mentioned in the sermon, in the interim years between Randy and Cy for over a year. I've been on the preaching team for four years. And truth be told, I've been trying to have Cy kick me off the preaching team for two years. And he could tell you that's the truth. But today, I am formally announcing my resignation from my little part-time role here at College Heights because we have accepted a preaching ministry at the Park Plaza Christian Church on 32nd in Indiana to succeed B.A. Austin, someone who has roots here at College Heights, though he will remain on staff part-time and you need to pray for him. He's in the hospital this morning. I will officially begin preaching there regularly on November 29th of this year and will become full-time with the church June 1st next year. This is being announced at Park Plaza today as well as here at College Heights. Now, you listen to this next paragraph, please. Please know that we love you here. We have been members here since 1986. This is the church where we raised our family. Three of our four children were baptized here. Three of our four children were married here. And this church owes us nothing. We, on the other hand, owe College Heights a debt we could never repay. We could not have been received any better. And this, this, this uh, decision has absolutely nothing to do with any dissatisfaction of College Heights at all. We are not upset in any way. And you need to hear this, have certainly not been asked to resign. This decision is totally driven by our discernment of God's will for our lives at this season. It has been an honor 
to work with our godly elders and the ministerial staff of this flagship church, it's really quite unique. I don't know if you know that. And I've especially cherished my relationship with Cy Huffer. I look forward to the days ahead for College Heights. It'll be a joy to minister on the south side of Joplin and work together for the churches to glorify God by seeking the evangelization of the lost and the edification of believers Joplin-wide. Sola de Gloria, Mark and Miss Carla. Thank you.